Hello everybody and welcome back to Eyes on the Mize. My name is John, that's Ian. Hey, we did the thing. We did the thing. Well, actually Wizards did the thing, but you did the thing in response to Wizards doing the thing. Yeah, and then the stack is going to resolve last in, first out, so we did the thing, resolves, but we don't... Anyway, sorry. Uh, today we're going to be... This is episode 133, A Kingdom at Peace. Uh, we're going to talk all about the BNR announcement that took place on Monday, uh, November 18th, uh, both for all the other formats, plus Pioneer, because Pioneer is still not in the same BNR announcement, and that really confused a lot of people. Yeah, I had to quote tweet some people and be like, hey, remember, it's on as- it's an asynchronous ban announcement, because you can't say we're ban restricted for Pioneer. I'm that pedantic, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it basically got to wait till after lunch. Because they're finalizing it. It's it's going to throw people off. It's going to be weird. But actually, we have in the show notes later. But just going to you know hit it now. Next weekend, next week for the 25th, they actually announced in this BNR that we sh- for or the uh, ban announcement for Pioneer that we should probably not expect anything unless something goes completely haywire in the next five days in the metagame. Yeah. So that's kind of nice to know we have the next possible ban happen not till december yeah they're doing that because there's a couple of ptqs on the horizon for pioneer and they are just saying just as a heads up we're not making any plans of changing anything in between now and those ptqs that week that upcoming weekend uh but we do reserve the right in case something really goes crazy yeah and which is which is nice for the the grinders slash testers who want to get out there and jam a ton of the format agreed uh, before we talk about the big uh, thing, we're going to turn our eyes to the community. First up, Desert Best for Hope raised over $800,000 for Child's Play Charity, reaching a $6 million lifetime total for donating money for the children. Just a huge heads off to the team. I think I was waking up for work at 5 a.m. and the run had like ended like two hours before I woke up, which was bizarre. That it's never run that late time. before. Essential. Oh, yeah. So it ended an hour because it ended at 5 a.m. Eastern t- this year. Yeah. <laughs> Ask me how Which I know. Which is ridiculous. I set my alarm to wake up at 4.30 to make sure I didn't miss it. <laughs> I literally came in during the middle of in- or thank yous. But actually, to get the exact value, it was $865,010 with no yeah. additional cents afterwards. Uh, we literally just completely and utterly blew past every previous year. The only time we actually ever kind of met up timing wise with another year was at the very beginning of the run, like at, you know, hour minute zero and just briefly at like hour 148 or something like that, where we kind of hit what used to be called the Paul wall, where donations like would spike in the last hour as people try to push for that one, one extra hour. But we kind of just hit like it kind of like was we were ahead by at some points, we were ahead by over 30 hours from previous year things. So like basically, hey, where we were at this donation total, that happened 30 hours from now in previous runs. Like the unprecedented levels of just being ahead of previous years to the point where we're just like, don't mention it. We're just enjoying the ride. I mean, to put it in perspective, this is the first year where before the run officially started, you had raised a quote unquote desert buck before the run even started which is how much money desert bus one made which was in its entirety it's twenty two thousand dollars and twenty two eight oh five is a desert buck uh we actually got pushed to the desert buck because 
one of our very, very, very generous uh, chatters, Mr. Har- Mr. Underscore Horrible, uh, chipped in about 8,000 in one shot just to push Oof. it over so James would have to owe everybody at the Moonbase ice cream, <laughs> which yeah. was the challenge he threw down. So we got there because somebody was very generous. And then oh, he donated again because James challenged the chat again. And he was just like, you know what? Here, get Rec Turner. <laughs> Yeah, and chat if you it. wonder where the term "don't challenge the chat" came from, it comes basically from, mostly from Desert Bus, yeah, as well as some other stuff. But mostly from Desert Bus, just being like, you don't challenge chat because when you do, they rise to the challenge. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, this year was great. We had a bunch of great magic uh, giveaways and stuff, other sorts of geeky, geeky crafts and all that kind of thing. All going to an amazing charity, Child's Play Charity, which helps domestic violence shelters and. Uh, children's wards at hospitals for kids going through long-term medical care who don't have access to books, games, or anything like that usually. And they're actually kind of moving away f- from just the straight up giving games and stuff to hotel or hospitals and, and uh, domestic violence shelters this year. From what they were saying is that they would go to these hospitals and visit and be like, hey, where's your, like, they have like, oh, yeah, we got an Xbox here and an Xbox here. And like, we know we donated like eight Xboxes to like, oh, yeah, they're in the back. We just don't have a way to get them set up. So now they're, now they're basically giving grants to these hospitals for a part-time staffer who will make sure all the consoles are up to date and uh, make sure they got games set and up, up and set and up yeah. properly because Surprise, surprise, while it's great to have online networking features in video games, for some reason, there has yet to be an enterprise function added to consoles. I wonder why. Because being able to admin them and man them through enterprise functions that are usually you know, automated with other things in hospitals and such just doesn't exist. So, hey, if your coders are out there looking for a challenge, maybe work on something that can, you know connect a bunch of video game systems in a single network and maybe push updates. I don't know. That'd be kind of cool. It would the be space cool. exists. There you go. Just yeah. credit me with the idea. You don't have to actually pay me anything. <laughs> also, free ideas. Uh, free ideas. Also this weekend was SCG con winter. Uh, Chris Barone took down the SCG invitational, which was a mixed format of modern and pioneer with the top eight being pioneer. And he took down the event, I think he was the first seed even in the top eight with mono black aggro in pioneer, which I have played a little bit of, and it's really spicy uh, and humans in modern. He was in fact the number one seed. Yeah. He went three. I don't know what his quarters were, but he went three Oh in the semis and three one or no three Oh in that to get to the semis three one in the semis to get to the finals and then three Oh in the finals. Yeah. Now, remember, uh, uh, the finals and everything like that f- were uh, just Pioneer, I believe. Yes, it was all Pioneer for the for the top eight. So, Mono Black um, Aggro, turn him sideways and punch him in the face. I think Ross Merriam actually published an article today, the 19th, that said that this is the best Smuggler's Copter deck. And I kind of agree because th- you can discard, like, my, I'm going to discard my Blood Soaked Champion to this to the, the Smuggler's Copter trigger. And then I'm going to raid it back or I'm going to discard my, my Scrap Heap Scrounger and then get it back. It's just really, really good and really it's really easy to churn through your deck. I was playing against my uh, roommate, Doug, and I had gotten down to 29 cards in my library. In an aggro deck. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, so another thing is too is actually on the Star City Games website and Star City Games YouTube, 
they have a deck tech video with Ross Merriam and Nick Miller. So go check that out if that kind of tickles your fancy. They also yeah. have deck techs on Rakdos Vietals with Jim Davis, Possibility Storm with Aaron Barich, Modern Green Devotion with Todd Anderson, and Hardened Scales with Dom Harvey. So go get yourself some delicious, delicious Pioneer content right there from some of the best in the game. We also included a link to the top 16 Pioneer and Modern decks in the show notes below for those of you who may be more curious about what people did, what their combination was, and so on. Also, SCGCon uh, was just fun. I went. Yeah, you were I there that weekend. I oh, I got to do a mystery draft. It was awesome. I drafted blue black mill, and yeah, Nemesis of Reason is not a not a fair magic card. Holy crap! Not unlimited. No. Oh my god, it was before my time, and man. So it turns out uh, I went down with and hung out with the, basically my group for the weekend was the cosplay contingent, a uh, bunch of wonderful humans that I got to hang out with all weekend, and I was sitting cross pod. Actually, from Sydney, aka Tappy Toe Claws, who I was splitting room with too. So it was kind of like, hey, roommate battle, yay. But we were just like, let's just draft, fight each other, and drop. <laughs> Fair. So I ended up getting to five mana, sticking a Nemesis of Reason, passing the turn. Sydney did something, passed the turn back to me. Then I was like, okay, swing with Nemesis of Reason, mill you 10. I had uh, Extract from Darkness, which is the blue black spell. Blueback Sorcery, each opponent... So I should say Nemesis Reason is 3 black, blue, 3, 7. Whenever it attacks, uh, each opponent mills 10 cards, basically. Or puts the top 10 cards of their library in in their graveyard. Then Extract from Darkness is blue, black, sorcery. Each player mills 2. Then you return a creature from a graveyard to the battlefield. So in the 10 that I milled Sydney for, I happened to hit one of her Archaeomancers. Oh, no. Yeah, so I was just like, okay, uh, extract from darkness, mill two more, get your Archaeomancer back, extract from darkness, resolves, okay, Archaeomancer trigger on the stack, get back my extract from darkness. <laughs> yep. And then literally the next turn, she untapped and played late claim on my nemesis of reason. No! <laughs> I was like, what even is this? And then she died like two turns later due to decking. Because I, nice. I had, because she was a control deck, and I had somehow I've been chunking away with a, a benthic infiltrator. Mm. <laughs> there we go. It was it was glorious that I drafted Mill in that format. Uh, but no, it was fun. I I'm excited got, to try it out when I hit um, Magic Fest Austin in January, uh, if it exists at that point. I think I don't know. I think that's, I think they confirmed it through all of them through 2020. Okay, so here's the thing, kids. If you're gonna go and do this mystery draft, either go super duper early on Saturday and Sunday. Or if you're on a Friday event, go Friday. Cause I went on Friday and did it. And I was able to draft with a couple drafts. I was like draft pod four at like 11 o'clock or noon. The next two days it sold out by nine thirty AM. Yeah. So. so as a, as a confirmation, according to channel fireballs tweet on, uh, literally yesterday, <laughs> The the mystery boosters will be at all magic fests in 2020. Crack them mystery boosties. But yeah, yeah. and I actually got to cosplay for the first time this weekend. Hey. Uh it was kind As- of like semi pseudo casual ish cosplay, but Sydney let me borrow uh the cloak to her Jace, which is not light, not weighs <laughs> nine pounds, but the fabric that she the fabric she made it out of, she said she's had it for like seven years. And I swear to god that cloak is like indestructible. Which is great. And I borrowed Oof. her bracer things for Jace. So I was Jace the Hungover. 
Nice. Uh, I had my Nope shirt, uh, sunglasses, and an empty coffee cup. Kind of being like, ugh. You can see my me tweeting about the. Uh, originally, I was just doing kind of that like um hungover picture, and then the person who's taking my picture just happened to expertly line up Sydney in her Oko costume over my shoulder while she was getting her official pictures taken for the SCG Twitter and social medias, and it looks like she's just smugly standing there and stuff, and I'm just like, oh god, but yeah, I was making I I had that draft sitting in my draft folder for two days waiting for the band to happen. Yeah. Let me tell you you something. Mad props to cosplayers, especially ones who wear a lot of makeup for their things, because it was very, very eye opening to see the amount of work that Sydney has to go through to put stuff on with the contouring for like even just the J stuff. Like a guy would just maybe have to do a little bit of touch up here and there. Uh, Maybe just she was saying eyeliner and stuff for guys just to make the eyes pop a little bit more in pictures. But she's got to contour her face and everything like that to give the guy appearance and then. Oko's got to have like the half blue up top and man, mad props. Seriously. It's good. As stuff. someone who's been to anime conventions, I've already, I've always had an appreciation for people who cosplay. So, Oh, same for, yeah, it's <laughs> mad, mad skilled. Um, tip, tip. And before we go to the BNR announcement, uh, rip for legacy cube. It was here for a week, had a lot of fun, destroyed a lot of lands. How and, many, uh, how many mono white drafts did you get in? Uh, ten ish. Good lord, you degenerate! I I trophied once. Okay. Um, did you did you run it back basically two winning? Uh, I did a lot of two ones, and I had a one two and a one two. I mean, to be fair, if you just two one, you just get a free rebuy. So exactly. Um, my favorite ones I I sent out a, I sent out a tweet yesterday. I had one where my opponent was mono green. The first thing they did was like turn two, play a bird of paradise, then turn three or whatever they played a Pelucranos. Oh, no. And I had a board full of like little dorks and whatever. It was my turn five. I untap. I draw a card. I go Armageddon, play Caracas, bounce your Pelucranos, and they concede. Oh, oh, honey. Get wrecked. Because <laughs> I had like a Kithian and Anaphens and a bunch of other stuff. Anyways. Get wrecked. Um, okay. Let's talk about bans and restrictions because we did have a restriction this time. I know, uh, we'll right? S- it's about time. Yeah. <laughs> about time so let's start with standard the one that's going to be the most impactful because standard is met is whatever you want to believe whatever you want to say map standard is wizard's flagship format pioneer has been a huge success no doubt about it uh modern is still very very popular there's also legacy and vintage which also have their own really cult, fairly large cult followings although you know the reserved list kind of hinders growth in those formats um but for standard we had three huge, huge daggers. And for those of you who paid attention to the Pioneer BNR a couple weeks ago, they last banned week. Veil of Summer. Last week. We weren't, we they weren't banned podcasting Vail's, last week, but yeah. Right. They banned Veil of Summer. Um, and then to very few people's surprise, they also banned Veil of Summer in Standard alongside Once Upon a Time and Oko Thief of Crowns. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Veil of Summer a little bit later on. So we're not going to cover it too much in depth right here. But, I mean, also can kind of talk a little about the other two cards in Standard, but literally green has just become far and away the best colored in Standard. Uh, yeah. It's it's really kind of raised questions to small standards, almost. It's like, I've, I've seen people questioning the fact that a five-set Standard might not be amazing. Yeah. And they might need to look so... at like how rotations happen, but that's way more complicated than can really be easily handled 
I think for right now anyway. So, in combination with the BNR announcement, there was also an article published called Play Design Lessons Learned, which you can find all the links for these articles in the in the description below. Um, and the Play Design Lessons Learned article was written by Brian Howley, who works in R&D in play design. And, you know, they, they talk no, about a lot of stuff. No, he, he's the play design team lead. Right. Um, so, they talk about a lot of stuff. Um, specifically about Oko, they were like, you know, we thought he would be pretty good, but – um he was they were trying to move things around on the curve and then eventually it just got he just got to here and they lost sight and according and here's the quote you know ultimately we did not properly respect his ability to invalidate essentially all relevant permanent types and over the course of a slew of late redesigns we lost sight of the sheer raw power of the card and overshot it by no small margin um they also kind of said that you know before when bfz came out which was right before we started podcasting i want to say um they were um BFC, they, bfc it, came out when i was in, in afghanistan yeah they were intentionally for it, yeah 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 during bfc they were intentionally powering down standards because they wanted because they were a they were going to go to that six month that 18 month legality for a set and rotation every six months uh and but then what they determined is that well if you're not playing standard then there's not a lot of cards in these packs for other people so when they're doing Guilds of Ravnica, they came up with the fire philosophy, which is magic should be fun, inviting, replayable, and exciting. And then they int- intentionally powered up their sets from Guilds of Ravnica to now. And if you look at Guilds of Ravnica, you can kind of see that where you look like, man, niv Perrin is a really good card um, as, a, as an example of a card that I'm probably going to be trying to play with in standard if I get a chance to sleep up for an event. Um, and they said that Throne of Drain as a set is within their confines. They're aiming for a return to Ravnica Theros power level. It's just that Oko and Once Upon a Time kind of overshot their goals for what it is. Yeah. And based, and what he even said in the article too is that they need to be a design team as well, not just a playtesting team because you can playtest all you want, but if you can't make any you know edits or changes, it's like they, you can only pass up suggestions so much. Right. Um, and then they're going to make corrections, but we won't see these corrections for the future. And in the BNR announcement themselves, they do say about Oko, ultimately Oko's power level was proven higher than is healthy for the current metagame and higher than intended for future environments, including Theros Beyond Death and Forward. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's definitely an interesting read. I would definitely highly recommend going and just reading through the article yourself. Uh, the TLDR he gave is pretty good. Like high end of what they're like with Throne of Eldraine being a high end of it. Like if that's the high end, then that's fine. Any higher than Throne of Eldraine, and you're probably pushing standard way too far. Yeah, they basically determined you know we're okay with standard being a higher power level than it was for that about two year period, three year period of BFZ to to uh, Guilds of Ravnica. And they said uh, they once said, upon they said they're kind of they're going to try and roughly level it out at this power level. So, I mean, it's going to be a going to be yep. a little interesting we'll see how it goes yep. once upon a time got hit because of you know being able to fix your mana and all the other fun stuff uh and then like ian said we'll talk a little bit about veil of summer a little bit later uh oko was banned in brawl as well which basically is if you look at you know you know look at brawl if you're if oko is annoying on turn three on turn two every game in standard how is it in brawl when you always have access to oko as soon as you need to so Oko getting a hit there does not surprise me. Next to BNR announcements, Legacy, a format that you were diving really, really heavily into, and you were because of this card, 
but you were begrudgingly having to realize what you were doing. They banned Ren and Six in Legacy. So let me let me talk a little about good old W Six. We mentioned it on the last episode, the W Six Poker, where does your opening seven poker hand beat your opponent's opening se- seven poker hand of Ren and Six ability? Can you stick a Ren and Six before you get Wasteland locked? Essentially, is what it boils down to. That is not a fun way to play any kind of format at all. Uh, nope. The power level of it basically locked certain archetypes completely out of the format. Essentially, stuff like Young Pyromancer, Mother of Rooms, Thalia Garden of Thraben. Hmm. I wonder what two of those cards have in common. Oh, right. Death and Taxes. Death and Taxes has not been a deck to play in Legacy for about the last six months that Ren and Six has been a card printed. Now, Yeah. It basically like the cheers of death and taxes players everywhere when it was gone. It's like, yes, I'm not getting pinged. And I'm just sitting there like, yes, my infectors aren't getting pinged. And meanwhile, plague engineer sitting on the sideline, like you foolish fools. <laughs> no, seriously though. Plague engineer. No, plague engineer is going to be annoying. Plague engineer naming human. Have fun with that one. Kids. Yeah. Uh, that said. So what there are thing for the, Renan Six is Team or Delver variants have become dominant in Legacy with league play in recent weeks. It has maintained a 56.5% win rate and earned over three times as many 5 0 finishes as the next deck. That is an unreal win percentage. And, it and then has- also, it has a favorable matchup against each of the other 10 most played decks. Yeah, it was basically you're playing Delver, or you better pray to God you sideboard properly against Delver and hope Delver stumbles. I mean, that's the reason why I literally made sure that I was playing... To be fair, I should have probably played Teamer Delver and not Four Color Delver at SCG Philly, but whatever. I'm probably setting aside Legacy for a good minute now that uh, SCG is kind of also setting aside Legacy. I will probably re-sleeve my Legacy Infect deck to take to my Legacy Knights on Wednesday nights when I go. But I'm pretty sure I'm putting Delver aside briefly Granted, Oko is now the Planeswalker du jour for that deck because it also does busted stuff in Rug Delver. It's not as powerful yep. as Run as Six. You can't loop Wastelands, which is just, just utterly disgusting. But Oko can still make your 2020 Merit Lodge token a 3-3 Elk. Yep. It's like, oh, you didn't... You have way more answers. You can play Oko main deck and have answers against stuff like lands and that's nuts usually you don't have an you don't have an answer against lands in your game one it just doesn't happen i mean we did with ren and six and wasteland but wasteland was essentially your only out now you mm-hmm. have a planeswalker in your main deck who can handle all sorts of stuff so ren and six overly overly powerful uh basically just to weaken the team or delver style decks uh they've gone back towards a stifle delver style now as opposed to being just like team or good stuff so be careful when you're cracking your fetch lands there in legacy kids yep stifles back um stifle Stifle and then in vintage we had a restriction this restriction was to no one's surprise narset parter avails has been restricted in vintage um basically contributing to one-sided games at higher degree than is healthy um, in order to reduce the frequency at which early Narset's static ability soft locks the opposing player out of the game, Narset is now restricted. Turns out in a format where you can stick a couple free 
mana rocks or even just crack a uh, crack a black lotus and stick a narset on turn one it's kind of gross yeah. especially in a format that focuses heavily on drawing a lot of cards like what vintage is it yeah it's been a card that people have been crying for for months to get restricted in vintage everyone's been like narset restriction when and turns out it was this week so yeah to kind of run it down let's just basically break it down real quick oko once upon a time fail summer ban is standard oko ban in brawl ren and six ban in legacy narset restricted in vintage yeah uh no changes in pioneer or modern now i don't think pioneer needed any changes the metagame looked pretty healthy according to the invitational as well as other results of course we'll have some results upcoming in the next couple of weeks that may change that alteration um i, I think honestly i, I kind of want to do a brief throwback to our ban and restricted kind of our, our ban outlook for pioneer man i do not think we're gonna see a aetherworks marvel ban anytime soon yeah it just has not shown up uh i i think what people correctly recognized and we kind of failed to do i mean we kind of touched upon it but it's a very hyper parasitic deck it was amazing in standard meta just because everything was already getting geared towards energy but we have way more deep of a card pool and you have to really warp your deck around just getting energy and to do so you weaken your deck incredibly sure in doing so you know you're not going to be playing probably the best deck you can like if you have better incidental ways of gaining energy which we have not gotten yet if we do who knows that might be the impetus that pushes an aetherworks marvel ban or if some of the other things get banned out but Honestly, I still feel like we're kind of wide open. Like I was listening to Arena Decklist podcast and they were talking about Pioneer a bunch this week. They Jerry and Brian were talking about how the the format's kind of gone from like a hundred card meta down to like a ten to fifteen or hundred deck meta down to like a ten to fifteen deck meta, which it's definitely winnowing itself out to some good stuff. And I honestly don't even know if we're gonna see stuff like dig through time or treasure cruise or anything of that nature banned anytime soon which is also kind of weird well i i would love to have a non-rotating format with those cards legal in it oh yeah it's just that you know the older formats because of fetch lanes and how quickly you can power those cards the delve cards out specifically work it just makes it a little bit more untenable plus whereas i think in this format with how much harder you have to work in order to delve out a treasure cruise before turn like five yeah or do you know get a dig through time really early i think that makes the format a little bit more reasonable yeah more amenable to having the delve cards stick around i know for as phoenix which is the deck i've essentially chosen and picked up because i don't have the time or the cards i guess right now to really grab more right now and that deck struggles to basically other formats you'd be able to cast like treasure cruise on turn three like no sweat i know i would have people scoop to me when i would be playing on turn like six when i cast a treasure cruise but that would leave me like that i mean i could cast a treasure cruise a turn or two earlier on like maybe four or five but i would be delving with my whole yard this was like paying two mana with like five lands out Still having three mana up to do something else off the three cards I just drew. Oh, by the way, I've already got three Phoenixes coming back this turn. Sweet. Let's go. So, uh, yep. 
that's kind of the only thing I think Phoenix was doing there. But yeah, no, uh, Pioneer's in a good place right now. Modern people are targeting or wanting something in the Wurza decks possibly to get targeted. Some people are arguing for Oko to be gone in Modern because it's the Simic Urza decks with Oko that are really kind of pushing things. Some people want to ban Urza. I'm of the opinion that Urza is a sweet card and I want Urza to be legal in Modern. I also, but I also have a good matchup against Urza, so whatever. And if you really want to hit something in Urza, the card that you really want to hit is Mox Opal. I was going to say, say But no it. one's going to hit Mox Opal. Say it. Say the Opal. No, no one's going to ban Mox Opal. Say Opal. But yeah, no. Uh, who, I don't think we'll see a modern... I'm going to say this. I don't think we see a modern ban in 2019. For the rest of 2019. I would, I would be surprised if we see a modern ban before the end of the year. Yeah. I agree. Because next one is December 16th for the total BNR announcement. Remember well, we, for everything. Well, it's just that the, the Pioneer bans are taking place every week I was, on Monday. Bruh. I was going to say that. <laughs> I know you were. <laughs> it's it's asynchronous. We'll still get that till the end of the year and maybe a little bit after. But we've got maybe like another six weeks of five to six weeks of Pioneer being asynchronous from the regular ban restricting announcements. My guess is that the Pioneer BNR will get synced uh, in February. Like with the release of Theros? Sure. That seems like a good time to do it. Yeah. The, fir- um, the first one after Theros' set release at the end of January. Or mid-January. Exactly, yeah. January 20... Oh, God, I know which weekend this is. One second. Uh, Yeah, 25th. 24th, 25th, 26th. Is the that would be a great releases. birthday present. Hey, there you go. So There we go. Onwards to... I didn't write any of this. Ian wrote all this, and I'm going to tell him why, he, why he's all wrong. No, I was just all right. So I wrote all this because <laughs> I've seen people start talking about this, and I was hearing about it this weekend that it was kind of like the the hubbub and you know rumble 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 map rhubarb rhubarb. It is rhubarb. the quote unquote discourse. Yeah, the discourse that was going on around some stuff with SCG Con this weekend about maybe take a mulligan on 2019 in Magic because yikes. Uh, <clears throat> in some people's eyes. Power levels were pushed way beyond anything else that we've seen in a long time. People were looking back at previous years for, hey, when was the last time we saw this many bands in a year? Uh, you'd have to go all the way back to like, I think it was like 2001. Because you could, you could sure. say 2011, but 2011 is when Modern came in and Modern brought along like an entire list. I have a list of like all of it. Modern brought along 2011. Yeah, Modern started with Jace, Stoneforge, Bitter Blossom, Wild Nacodle, um, those were all banned. Yeah, twenty one bands come in just with modern becoming a format alone. It was to give it was you them artifact lands. Hold on, it's Ancestral Vision, Ancient Den, Bitter Blossom, Chrome Mox, Dark Depths, Dread Return, Glimpse of Nature, Golgari, Grave Troll, Great Furnace, Hypergenesis, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Mental Misstep, Seed of the Synod, Sensei's Divining Top, Skull Clamp, Stoneforge, Mystic, Sword of the Meek, Tree of Tales, Umazawa's Jite, Valakut, and Vault of Whispers. Now, granted, a bunch yeah. of those have been uh, unbanned. Like Jace, yeah, yeah. a Valakut, number of them have been unbanned. Stoneforge, Mystic, <laughs> Grigori Grave got unbanned and then rebanned. Bitter Blossom, Ancestral unbanned. Vision. Yeah. yeah so, so there's a lot of things that have been unbanned just over the format and stuff like that too but 2011 was the last time we had a lot of these bands but like in terms of sheer number of bands you have to look back to like 2004 even had a bunch of things come in when legacy separated itself out 
We're not even going to talk about 1999 because Combo Winter was a heck of a thing. Yep. But yeah, so this year we had 27 cards banned across formats. Five cards were restricted in Vintage. Two cards were unbanned, Justice for Ferocidon. And one was unrestricted in Fast Bond. Hey. So overall, there was a very active year for the BNR. Again, we have one more to go. So who knows if that number is going to get changed around even more. My guess is maybe we might see like one or two more, and it would probably be because of Pioneer. Yeah. I think but I, I'm going to go right now and say by the end of the year, we've got what? It's one. We got six weeks. Six weeks left? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get at least one or two more in the next six weeks. Yeah. But yeah, we will we will see. But that said, we can go back to kind of some of the earlier stuff in the year. War of the Spark, just kind of with its planeswalkers. I know you're going to tell me. I know you. I've been keep bringing up static abilities on planeswalkers. You just keep saying they're fine, and I also pseudo agree with them. <laughs> However, it did introduce that wrinkle that might have pushed walkers further ahead power level than would otherwise have been. Looking at you, Narset. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. keep in mind, some of the static abilities were stuff that would previously exist on Planeswalkers as a plus or minus kind of thing, you know? Like, until well, next... There, well, some of those static abilities you could theoretically see as, like, a plus or a minus ability. Um, like, I could see, like, Teferi, who who was name-dropped in the play design lessons learned about making instants unplayable. If you wanted to wrap up his his um, static ability into his plus one where it's your opponent can't cast things as the, can only cast things as though they were source uh, as those were sorceries but you can cast things as though they had flash i could see that you know argument but there's a lot of these static abilities that only make sense as static abilities like tybalt the fiend blooded or not tybalt the fiend blooded timo rakish inquisitor um having his static ability being you know players can't gain life right no no, no. I, I think no, that that's fine i get that there were certain ones that are it, yeah, it wasn't there are some blanket, that are not, egregious. It should not be. Teferi, yeah, it's not Narset. A, it's not a blanket statement. Like, yeah. static uh, goes on Planeswalkers did. I'm, I was just going at it as the fact that there are static abilities on Planeswalkers warp them in certain ways that were different from what we've had to deal with in the past. So we've had to adapt yeah. to the new kind of, yeah. I guess. Now, I'm paradigm. of the opinion that they shouldn't overdo them. I think that doing 36 and War of the Spark with them all being the same, having all of them having static abilities is good. Yes. I think that's fine. I think that makes sense. I think that um, Chandra Awakened Inferno and M9 and M20 having the can't be countered text is also fine. Um, I, find, I don't I find it that, funny. She doesn't see more play. She does cost six mana. It's true. Um, but I think that she, but I also think that she, she's fine as an exception as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that I don't think that Wizards needs to go back to that well for at least another year. And I think that the reaction that the players had to all of these and the reaction that they're having is going to cause Wizards to overcorrect yeah. um, and just not consider them at all. Whereas, whereas I think that they can be a worthwhile design space if used correctly. I think because that they did thirty six and more of the spark, they were kind of digging for some, and some of them make sense. Like Teferi, like Teferi's creature version has that same line of text, right? Yeah. But Teferi's creature version also cost two blue, 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 and was a creature, not a one white, blue, four loyalty planeswalker that can tick up to five. Yeah, and um, yeah, and his human version could get shocked. No, he's a three, four. Three, four? Yeah, he, he was very resilient. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I'm thinking Venser. 
Yeah, you're thinking Venter. Yeah, my bad. Um, you look at Narset. Narset's static ability kind of makes sense for her. Um, I'm sure they're playing in a similar space that would make sense for for the Narset power suite. Um, but it it is also one that's a gotcha moment that you're going to run into. Same with uh, Teferi. So you're you're going to run into Teferi's. Uh, and those two are the big offenders of the three mana planeswalker with static ability club. You look at some of the other you know planeswalkers here in that static ability club uh, in War of the Spark. You know Kiora who's an uncommon planeswalker, who's three mana, who has seen some play. Hers is really, really fine and really, really good, I think. Um, I think that Sahili's Sublime Artificer. Uh, So Kiora is, she she comes in with seven loyalty, minus one is untap a permanent. Uh, And then whenever a creature with power four greater enters the battlefield, you draw a card. Oh, it's ferocious check. Got it. Uh, I think that Sahili's Sublime Artificers, the, she's one hybrid red-blue, hybrid red-blue, starts at five loyalty. Her minus two is you basically turn one of your artifacts into another one of your artifacts or creatures till end of turn. And it's whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you make a servo. I think that's a perfectly fine one. Yeah, I, you know, she's a she's a very resilient uh, young pyromancer in that sense, yeah. but I still think that that's fine. Yeah, I play her in the sideboard of Phoenix just because it's a heavy, spell-heavy deck, and in games where you just want to kind of flood your board to ground stall, they're, those servos are perfect. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. And if you look at some of the bigger ones, you look like Liliana Dreadhorde General. Her ability, you know, whenever a creature dies, you draw a card. I think that works perfectly for her as well as for her ability suite. And it's just that, you know, but the thing is, she costs six mana. Yeah. The rest of these, some of these cost three mana. And that is kind of the sticking point that some people are having. And they brought it up in the Play Design Lessons Learn article of, we're still going to design three mana planeswalkers. We just know we're going to have to be more conscience of the decisions we're making with them yeah and that's why the second bullet i had there was more cheap walkers added basically the lower you go in cmc and i guess is why Ren and six was so powerful too is it was a two mana planeswalker last time we had two mana planeswalker yeah. was the most laughable planeswalker arguably of all time in tybalt the og one so yeah. that you're, and you're going- there was a design point that they made for modern horizons with Ren and six that he ticked up to six or to four loyalty so that they couldn't be bolted yeah so it's definitely a case of you know they're going to be aware of it now they learned their lesson from 2019 but this this take a mulligan on the year pushes on to modern horizons talking with ren and six basically like we said warped legacy just beyond belief uh modern horizons also had hogak yeah looked at as a commander card basically by the design team just completely did not pick up the modern breaking that it was going to do and the thing is it they put in a constraint on casting it so it wouldn't be broken and yet it was i mean it turns out bridge from below is a heck of a magic card when paired with dredge and it one is. of the sack creatures i mean i think it was a confluence of many things if you don't if you don't have stitcher supplier as a card hogak is definitely probably not nearly as ridiculous as it could have been sure 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 but that said it is a card that does exist and did make it ridiculous i actually played against somebody who was on hogak this weekend uh nice and commander uh yeah andrew was playing it a buddy one of the buddies we were hanging out with and his deck looked cool granted he's still tuning it up and stuff like that i was uh borrowing a yarok deck from olivia and new i should say New, newly minted to the CAG, the Commander Advisory Group CAG, Olivia. Right. I'll tell you what, that girl is amazing at building decks and then having friends play with it and then watching them just raffle stomp with them. 
<laughs> I've borrowed two or three of her decks before and just literally wrecked face whenever I pick them up. I'm like, your decks are amazing in my hands. This is great. I love it. <laughs> so I'm getting her Yarok list. But I played Cavalier of Thorns in that with Yarok out. Oh, <laughs> oh man. It felt great. Let me tell you what. Yeah. That deck was nuts. I, at one point, yeah. I had, in one of the games I was playing with the Yarok deck this weekend, I had 48 Hornet, or 48 Insect. I had I had six Hornet Queens and 48 Insect Tokens. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. Yeah, when you have Yarok and... Uh, yeah, it was, it was gross. Rider Replication was a hell of a card. Yes, it is. But uh, playing against Hogak and Commander, fine. Fair and dandy. Card's not bad. It makes for no. a pretty great Graveyard General. Uh, Certainly does. The The fact that Modern Horizons didn't have to go through Standard mean it didn't have to worry about, you know, okay, how do we temper this for Standard? They pushed the power levels a bit too far. I mean, heck, we got a, a common that actually warped a format in Pauper. Yeah. Astro- Arkham's Astrolabe made Pauper just a little too samey. Um, there's an argument that you could look at the same for uh, Modern uh, because there's a lot of artifact decks that are playing it. Um, and right now there's no reason to not play Snowlands over regular basics, which makes sense. Snowlands were already kind of a a strictly better than for the basics, but now there's good payoffs for it in stuff like Ice Fang Codal. Um, Arkham's Astrolabe is another one, stuff like yeah, that. People playing like Bant Soul Herder, like flickering things with Soul Herder, which is hilarious. Soul Herder is not a broken card. Soul Herder is a hilariously awesome niche magic deck for modern. It is. It's a lot of fun. I don't care much for it because I usually beat it, but that's not the point. Anyway, uh, Astrolabe also hit Legacy. Like, there's the four color good stuff decks are basically playing a bunch of basics. And Arkham's Astrolabe to smooth their mana out instead of relying. It, it's a it was a way to avoid Ren and Six Wasteland locks because you just play a bunch of basics. If you're playing four colors and it's like, oh, I only have three of my four colors, but I have two Arkham's Astrolabe, I have access to all my colors. Oops. Yeah. And I could just go on with a couple other Modern Horizons cards that aren't super overpowered, but definitely have made an impact. I mean, Aria of Flame is an alternative win condition in some decks. The Force of Negation has been an all-star in basically every format it's legal in. Force of Negation, uh, let me just tell you, like, I think I initially slept on that card in terms of, like, how good it was going to be. Like, it's yeah. not overpowered, but it is a solid... It's not a four of or anything like that, but it's still very it's good. It's a solid magic card. Good job on that one, Wizards. Like, actually, like, yeah. no no crap. Like, my, hat's off, my hat off to you. Like, you did a good job designing a... It's hard to live up to the Force of kind of moniker um like look at the red look at the red force Ugh. it is awful well um, force of vigor the green one is actually really good as well as a sideboard yeah. card my god i love that card for sideboard yeah uh but yeah force of negation force of vigor did a great job designing it so they did a good job i'm not saying we should take a like I, that, that's why i said take a mulligan on the year with a question mark just because people were saying we should mull on 2019 but We'll keep pushing on to M20 because the M20 we need to talk about a little bit because Veil of Summer. Well, there's also Field of the Dead, which did get its justice because they printed it so it could work with Scape Shift and then it ended up still being too good. I, I find it hilarious. But Veil of Summer. hilarious that it warped the format after Scape Shift left. Which is kind of crazy, yeah. Well, I, to be fair, also I kind of mentioned the small, sta- the small standard where there was, more, I guess, more 
diverse things you could do with the field decks and scape shift and other things out in the format that's like you can play field of dead and it's good but overall there's other decks that can actually naturally predator predator the deck it lost a lot of that but yeah, yeah. but Ve- and Veil of summer though <laughs> yeah and Veil of summer and in, they mentioned him in pioneer that it was causing a little bit too much stuff making it hard to interact and they say the same thing in the bnr announcement for standard uh, they say, finally, Veil of Summer is also playing an important role in preventing the metagame from being able to self-correct. Cards that played similar roles in the past, like Autumn's Veil, which is the direct kind of name lineage they're going for. Strictly worse. And Display of Dominance. Basically. Strictly worse. And Display of Dominance proved a lower power level than desired in their respective standard environments, leaving green with a weaker option compared to other color hate cards in those cycles. Veil of Summer is at the other end of the spectrum. It's too much more efficient than other cards in its cycle, and by comparison to other tools available in standard, gives green decks too much resilience against removal and disruption. Um, so, here, here's the thing. Here's, here is Autumn's Veil. It is a green instant. It says spells you control can't be countered by blue or black spells this turn, and creatures you control can't be the targets of blue or black spells this turn. Veil of Summer reads, draw a card if an opponent has cast a blue or black spell this turn. Spells you control can't be the counter this turn. You and permanents you control gain hexproof from blue and black until end of turn. So the only thing that change is your spells can't be countered by any color of spells. Uh, you draw a card if an opponent casts a blue or black spell this turn. And you also get hexproof from blue or black spells as well as your permanents. I think the you get hexproof might have been overdoing it. I'm a lot of people are saying it's the cantrip part, which I also oh no no the cantrip more, part is more also leaning to busted. Like yeah, I'm sorry, like countering, count- countering a thought seize with it is really cute. Uh, but I think I think it's the you know I'm getting all my stuff through, and then the other thing is that Veil of Summer. Uh, you sent me this list. There was a storm list that uh did really really well in like a league or at a tournament or whatever, and it was splashing green for only autumns for only Veil of Summer in the sideboard. Because how because how it works is you cast it, and it just says your spells can't be countered this turn. So your opponent has to respect that card, and they have to counter it. And it's even seen playing Legacy Storm. Legacy Storm will start off with a Veil of Summer and be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast all my spells this turn. There's nothing you can do about it. Right. Or with the most hilarious thing you can do in Legacy with it is you wait. Like, you're sitting on a green-blue deck, and you're like, yeah, just go. Storm off. Go for it. And with... They, you know, they churn through the whole thing. They're doing the yog. They're doing the yog will, bringing everything back from the yard. Ants doing its thing, ticking off, going down low, and you're just like, "All right, tendrils on the stack, storm trigger on the stack, veil of summer. You can't target me." Yeah, fizzles all of them. Literally, you literally let your storm opponent fizzle completely, or burn through their entire storming off. Then they put those triggers on the stack, like right as they put the triggers on the stack. Before the first trigger cooks off, you go in response to your storm trigger. Well, you can't put them on the stack because if you do, these are too late. Right mm. when the storm thing goes, when you have to, like you have that window to respond, and you say you can't target me with your storm triggers, you literally negate everything they do because then they have to turn it and point it in themselves, which leaves them neutral because mm-hmm. they lose two, gain two, lose two, gain two, lose two, gain two by hitting themselves in the face. And yeah, then you did, well, and then you just go, you have nothing. I turn my my. Tarmogoyf sideways, I win. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it was a card... Bell Summer does a lot of really crazy things. It's a card that just does way too much for what green should be able to do for one mana. Yeah. Oh, and I was also mentioning, like, you, you stop your opponent from storming off, and you also draw a card off of that, too. Yeah. Which is just, like, 
It's like, yeah, I countered your storm and also drew a card. What? Come on. Stop making yeah. green have card draw. At least for a little and then, while. And then we get to Throne of Eldraine, which we agreed is a very, very push set in a lot of respects. Even play design, Oko, even play design says it's a push set. Yeah. Oko, Once Upon a Time, and then there's the food mechanic, which there's a lot of really good articles about. Um, if you want to look up kind of like how we on the outside are viewing the food mechanic as being this kind of parasitic mechanic. It is, it's just really interesting to see how this innocuous mechanic that a lot of people, including myself, kind of poo-pooed. I'm like, I'm going to need to see what I need to do in order to play with these food cards. Like, Oko making a food token? Sure. What does that do for me? Oh, you know, Gilded Goose, oh, you use your food to tap to make it a bird of paradise. That's cute. Um, and you can pay one and a green to make food in the future. And then you look at, like, you know, the wolf. Uh, Wicked Wolf, which comes into play and you and fight something. And then you can stack a food to give it indestructible, essentially, so that it will, you know, be able to... One just trade on one side of it plus for one, plus it. one um, counter and indestructible. Exactly. And it. So it's just this is really interesting to see how these cards kind of slotted in. Uh, like there's a Reddit thread from uh, a couple months ago or like a month or so ago uh, that says, "Hey, I found the point when R and D designed all these broken green cards, and it was a tweet from two years ago of Aaron Forsyth tweeting out saying, "Hey, uh, what are some really good green cards from you know Magic's past?" And they and apparently and like all these new cards are are like versions of other ones. Um, and this is an, a paragraph from the play design lessons learned. Coming out of an era with green being at times borderline unplayable by virtue of its inability to proactively interact with opposing creatures, we tried in the last few sets to lean into green's ability to fight enemy creatures. As we see the impacts of that, it's leaving green's suite of effects a bit too complete, which is separate but related to its raw strength. Looking at the color pie holistically, it steps into a hybrid creature removal space, usually occupied by white, but does it better. Uh, we'll be looking to narrow green's mechanical expression slightly and investigate other ways to let green navigate boards littered with opposing creatures. Yeah, so it's definitely they're they realize, and I'm happy they're realizing how much the pendulum has swung towards green when it comes to just what do you want to do with magic? Play green and then play another yeah. color off of green. Yeah. Because green's core identity of big dudes and mana ramp is so important because being able to be a step ahead of your opponent in, you know, casting, you know, three drops on turn two, casting four drops on turn three or what have you is such a game breaking ability compared to a lot of the other colors. Like, yes, blue can draw a whole lot of cards, but that doesn't do anything if you can't draw answers. What gives you answers? White. White has a lot of answers for a lot of different things as well as small aggressive creatures. What happens if, you know, you need a little bit more beef or you need to be able to get under decks? Well, you can play green creatures, which are going to be slightly larger. But if your green creatures are slightly larger and your mana ramp doesn't get, isn't available, how do you interact with the board? Well, black has a lot of ways of dealing with creatures on the board. What if your opponent has creatures that, you know, are, are able to nullify all those removal? Well, you can go into red and get the haste threats. It's all of that interplay within the color pie that's supposed to make magic and does make magic such in a vibrant game. And it's in constructed formats like this one that we just had, where green was just far and away the best color and it was stepping on other colors' toes, that kind of just made it a little less. Yeah, it's the best magic. Usually, is is when there's slight overlap, which lets you, you know, hey, I have a bunch of spells matters cards in these three colors. I can run these three colors, but those colors aren't over too overpowering. That they have other cards available in those that you can do other things with the, that color in coordination with another thing. So like 
And on and on the side of green again, like with green's mechanical color pie kind of being limited, apparently there was a discussion a couple of years ago about giving green banisher priests. Oh, God, no. The, of giving them creatures that come into play and exile your creature until they leave. And Mark Rosler said, well, ultimately we didn't do it, but it was something that they experimented with. And I think that that's reasonable. It's a way for green to have creatures that get rid of your opponent's creatures, but not in a way that is too strenuous. That's – that's like absolutely just stomping on White's territory, though. Kind of, with I agree. with what with, with what. I mean, also that effect used to be black for what it's worth. Oh yeah, I know. And obviously the color <laughs> pie shifts, but if green is shifting into that space away from White, what's White going to get shifted into? That's that's the thing that has to, like, you need the interplay. Like black got some other stuff when that got shifted away from it. Like you're talking like Oubliette and stuff like that, where it would exile exactly. Things. We obviously Ubliet's so. really weirdly worded card. Um, yeah, Ubliet's a little odd. We we try not to think about it too much. I mean, to be fair, we might see it again soon if Gavin yeah. Verhey's tweets or anything to take in, into consideration. Sure. I mean, he has tweeted but. like maybe we might see it again in the next year or two in some way, shape, or yeah. form. Because I know I have not looked at the old frame uh, sheet from the Mystery Boosters. But I wonder if it's on there. No, it's not in the mystery boosters. Darn it. It's not in there. It's so if we were to get it, it would probably be one of just the foil sheets that we're getting just as a weird thing. Because remember, each slot has its own sheet. So we just get a straight up yeah. foil oubliette in the store packs. Okay, cool. Otherwise, there might be some weird other ancillary set comes out in the next year that we might see it in. I wonder if it's in one of the like 20 different commander products we're getting next Who year. Who knows? Uh but before we Gavin before knows. we kind of wrap up this 2019 look, I mean, this only this I forgot it only came out in July. But the London Mulligan, I think of everything, has some people being like it's a mistake and constructed. I've seen there's articles that are out there that people have written a decent argument on why it is a mistake for constructed, but should be in play for limited. Yeah, I think that you need the mulligan rule to be the same across formats. Oh, correct. Absolutely. I agree um, 100% on that. But, and, I don't know. The the London mulligan solves a lot of problems in limited, and I don't think separating a limited mulligan to a con- and the constructed mulligan makes a lot of sense. Um, but, who knows? Um, it's one of those cases, like, I do you, understand you doing it, where do you draw the line? It's like, do we have a yeah. mulligan for standard? Do we have a mulligan for modern? Do we have a mulligan for commander? Yeah. I mean, we do. Like, have do mod- do we say that the London mulligan only applies to pioneer, standard, and limited? Like, yeah, it or do we? It gets weird because the original mulligan know. rules where you had to basically show your hand, show that you either had, hey, I have no lands, or hey, I have all lands. Yeah, right? you had to like reveal it, and then they're like, well, that's kind. Of, you basically people would keep bad hands with either no or all lands, just to not give away tech they might have had that was in that opening seven they drew. Yeah. So it, it was actually incentivizing poor gameplay. Whereas the London Mulligan, man, it has been amazing to do. I still find myself being like, all right, no, no, yeah, I still got to draw seven when playing. Cause I yeah. go to, I go try to go to six. And I'm like, wait, wait, no, I, I put a card back. So take that seventh card. It's yeah. there. I wanted, I know this year I said to take a Mulligan on the year thing for this, last half of the episode episode but i just wanted to basically go over with you john a lot of the points that people you know some of the rumblings of the discourse are that are kind of going around you know it's end of the year people are looking at what 
the year in magic already and there was a lot of push stuff but there's also some good stuff too but we yeah. needed to recognize and kind of talk our way through okay yeah this was this broken yeah it was broken in a way but we are c- going to correct on it but the london mulligan uh is has been great and like i say it came out on july 5th when core 2020 came out and it's as as much as i keep forgetting to do it it still feels like it's just been like the perfect mulligan yeah i think it is a really good mulligan um, obviously in constructed formats where you know you're you may be looking for key pieces if you're a combo deck it performs better um i think that in standard and i also think that in limited it performs pretty adequately um and it's very very good there and i think that in pioneer it's going to serve a similar role i could see banning it or like changing the mulligan for for modern and pat and like back because in those formats it is very very different like especially in a format like even in pioneer and standard right now with ley lines the London Mulligan is very, very powerful because you're able to find these opening hands with these ley lines that, in, that you can just put into play. Yeah. For instance, I know, again, referencing good, the good old guys over Arena, Arena Deckless podcast, they were even talking like they were looking at building ley line decks when they were printed in M20 because or Core 2020 because of the fact that you had this London Mulligan and you could just easily get them out in the battlefield. Now, yeah, like... London Mulligan looks works amazing in modern, for instance. Say you're on Tron, you can literally just be like, you can mold down to four, and like, oh, cool, I have two lands. I found my map, and I have like Worm Coil Engine yeah, like or a Karn in my hand. You can have two yeah. lands, a map, and a Karn, and be like, I'm getting th- turn three Tron, and having a turn three yeah. threat. Like that's. I know that Todd Anderson is on the is on the thing of if you're playing Tron in modern and you don't keep a hand that has turn three Tron, you're doing it wrong. Oh yeah, you like that should just absolutely be the case of if you like for, even for Infect, I probably don't Mulligan near. I haven't really played a whole lot of Infect, basically since the London Mulligan has been out. But when I have, I probably don't Mulligan aggressively enough. You yeah you're gonna need some lands and stuff but even now once upon a time is seeing legacy infect play uh actually want to bring up a tweet that kind of looking at the boss ross aka the guy who you should really kind of listen to when it comes to uh legacy if you like aggressive strategies tom ross is probably the best person to listen to he said you know a card is too good when i splash it in infect in legacy i played ren and six dig through time and treasure cruise before getaxian probe 2 currently have oko in main deck modern infect and yeah i have once upon a time in both as well and a bunch of yellow summer cyborg like literally the three cards just banned in standard are have become standard deck building for modern like infect and i've said in my quote tweet of it that says everything the fact that yeah these cards have actually just basically pushed out like we're down to one groundswell to make room for like Oko and the Once Upon a Times, we aren't even running mutagenic growth anymore. Granted, we did, it's yeah. mutagenic growth is kind of rendered redundant anyway with the printing of Scale Up, because we can still get a turn two kill with Scale Up. You just go turn one Elf, turn two Scale Up, and any other format or plus four plus four pump spell. Yeah. So, like you can do the groundswell. Uh, one thing that I will say, kind of to close this off. And this is the kind of side that I kind of fall on. Um, this is a quote that I believe is attributed to Richard Garfield, but I think it's somebody in Magic Design, and I'm going to paraphrase it. But the TLDR is that, you know, if you're not getting a card banned every so often, you're not pushing the envelope enough. 
Yeah, that's that's perfect. And I'd rather magic be exciting and have wizards be aggressive and um a, and in their bands than then play it too safe and things just not be good. I I will say this too. I do appreciate the fact that for a very long time wizards was not touching standard with bands. Like there was long gaps of years where standard could have probably used a band for a card like collected company might have been ban worthy uh yeah gideon might have been ban worthy something from the uh jvp jvp siege rhino uh yeah maybe uh something from whenever something deck, from whenever when, something deck from, is siege rhino aggro siege rhino midrange yeah. or siege rhino control yeah basically also something from the devotion decks technically could have maybe gotten whapped but thought siege was probably going to be the card that would get hit yeah but it it's a case of they're they're doing it now and I'm happy it exists and I'm happy they're taking such a proactive stance now in terms of like, hey, yeah, we we were trying to push the envelope. Our bad. Yeah. And magic is a richer card pool for it now. So should we take Indeed. should we take a mulligan on twenty nineteen? Not really. I'm of the opinion no. Maybe we go to six. Uh let's see. Let's bottom Let's bottom Oko and just forget he ever got There we go. Deal? (laughs) Sold. (laughs) All right, Ian, if people wanted to find you on social media to talk about how wrong we were, where can they do so? You guys can (laughs) – oh, my God. I'm sorry. All right, you guys can find me on Twitter at DixonIJ. That's D-I-X-O-N-I-J. You guys can see pictures of my weird Jay's cosplay and other stuff, sports and nerdy stuff. It's, it's It's all over the place. Just go check it out. You guys can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash dicks. Probably won't be a lot of magic coming up, but Pokemon Sword and Shield just came out, and I actually want to stream it for my playthrough. So I'll at least get some of the baseline of the game streamed. And also Thanksgiving weekend, I intend on building my Lego Saturn V set. So tune in for that if you like. We'll chill out, listen to some nice cool music and just shoot the stuff because yeah. i can't curse yeah and then john where can they find you you guys can find me on twitter at jwiley129 that's jwiley129 you can also find me on twitch at the same handle like i said earlier i'm going to be at magic fest austin at the beginning of january that's going to be january 10th if you see me there don't don't hesitate to say hi i'll be a command i'll podcast. be command fest dc uh hey. oh, i'll also be at pax unplugged so PAX Unplugged the weekend of December 6th, 7th, and 8th, GP or Magic Fest or Command Fest. There we go. DC the 13th, 14th, and 15th. Yeah. If you want to reach the podcast directly, you can do so in one of two ways. You can hit us up on Twitter at Eyes in the Mize, or you can shoot us an email at eyesinthemise at gmail.com. We would love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for you, our lovely listeners. On behalf of Ian, I'm John. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time.